Hey everybody, Coach Jonathan here with a special episode of the Ask a Cycling Coach podcast. This past week, we were in Monterey, California at Laguna Seca for the Sea Otter Classic, the all things racing and bike expo that happens every year around this time. While we were there, I sat down with a couple guests, including Pete Morris, our product manager that you heard just a couple weeks ago, who races for Team Cliff Bar. And we had a discussion about componentry. Uh, so our guests are from Envy Composites. Envy is a company that does things a bit differently, and it's been evident to us. Uh, we've been using their stuff for the 40-kilometer time trial. Uh, I've been using their stuff on road and on mountain for quite some time, and I feel like they go about things very differently. After talking to them, I realized that they really do go about things differently. So while this may very well seem just like an Envy commercial, giving Envy an opportunity to talk about their product, I wanted to dig deeper into what you should actually look for in different componentry in terms of performance. Like should a road handlebar perform a specific way? We don't usually think about that. We just usually think about weight, price, maybe durability, but we don't really think beyond that. Uh, so apply that to all the different component choices we make. And I feel like there's a lot of low hanging fruit for a lot of us that are listening to this. We put in so much effort into all the training that we do, uh, we can probably make a whole lot of gains as well by just making smarter component decisions. So. I hope you can learn from this conversation what you should look for from a component, whether that be a wheel, a handlebar, anything else like that, whether that's envy or not, let's look deeper into the component choices that we make and get faster. And one last thing, we were using a different microphone setup and we had some audio issues. So I apologize in advance for the buzzing you'll hear. Hopefully you can hear through that. I hope you enjoy the conversation. My name is AJ Turner. Um, I work at Envy Composites in the marketing department, um, and I'm also a rider for Team Cliff Bar. Nice. Jake, go ahead. Uh, Jake Pantone with Envy Composites, and I am in charge of product and consumer experience, which overlooks marketing and basically all the consumer touch points. Awesome. Cool. Uh, Pete. I'm Pete Morris. Uh, I'm a rider for Team Cliff Bar, and uh, I work at Trainer Road as a product manager. You all have heard Pete before <laughs> on the podcast, even as recently as what two weeks ago, three two weeks, weeks ago. ago. Um, so we're we're at Sea Otter. We're obviously you can probably hear in the microphones. It's not normal uh, sounding, not in our studio, but we're at Sea Otter, which is a huge. For those that don't know, it's a bicycle industry expo slash race week. Uh, it's a pretty good time in Monterey, California, and we're I we brought you guys here. And this is going to sound, this may seem like an ad to some folks. And in transparency, you guys have supplied us with some equipment for a 40K time trial. Um, so I want to say that to just flat out. However, the reason that we're talking to you about this is because I've, I've learned over the years how much detail and attention you guys put into like the production process and how you actually develop products. You don't have as many products as a bunch of other component manufacturers. They may have everything under the sun, but you guys have a different process. Um, we, re we want to talk about the equipment choices or even the setup things that make you faster. And it's funny because the thing that brought this up, Pete, was when you were mentioning that on your crit bike, since it's just a race bike, yeah. you run your bar position a little different. Do you want to elaborate on that? Yeah. So the way I got fit for my bike from JD Bergman, which is the shout out, he's in Berkeley. If you guys need some help, um, the way I set up my bike is I actually fit my bike for the hoods, not the drops. Um, I pretty much ride in the hoods 95% of the time, and I like to race on my hoods, so I have a ton of bar or a ton of mm, drop on my headset. Um, and I just, I set everything up so that I'm comfortable 
in the hoods and race in the hoods and do everything in the hoods. And I think we talked about it during yeah. the crit. Yeah, it's kind of like a different, like basically like your hoods are almost where your drops would be. Yeah, definitely. In one respect. Mm -hmm. And I don't think a lot of people think of that. And that was kind of the impetus for this conversation is that perhaps people don't really think about the component choices effectively and how they run those sort of things. AJ, you're a really small guy. I, yes. Uh, so uh, comparatively speaking, right? Um, so what do you do anything for your height that is perhaps a bit abnormal, whether it's lever position or, or anything else like that on the bike? Um, well, I think um, I, I have a little bit shorter legs, but a longer torso. Um, so naturally I run, you know, a small size frame and then a little bit longer stem. Um, and then um, kind of in that, that lower uh slammed i guess is the appropriate nomenclature good, good nomenclature there <laughs> uh, in the slammed position um and then um yeah actually you know on the 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 handlebars themselves i kind of angle everything in a little bit just because it's a little bit uh, more comfortable and and more within my reach and then also if the, Meaning the levers you're yep, saying yeah so the they're kind of like tilted inward to the center exactly yeah. yeah and um if there is adjustability in the, the actual levers themselves i'll try to bring them a little bit closer to the bar mm -hmm. um just to tuck everything in kind of nice and tight um so yeah i'm i'm able to get away with that uh fit and setup just because my body type i suppose um it also requires a lot of like flexibility work too just to to make sure that i can sit in that position for 60 minutes or 90 minutes or whatever it is um, but I'm more of a, in the drops type guy, I guess. Um, mm. I just, uh, I can't put out massive power cause I'm 140, 150 pounds depending and, uh, five foot eight. So, um, you know, compared to Pete, I'm like a lot less Watts. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so in like a four corner crit, um, you know, I have to kind of duck and, and hide in surf wheels. And, um, if I can get low and, and down, um, I can conserve a lot of energy. So mm -hmm. yeah, that's kind of my setup. I don't know if it's super unique, but, um, it's probably most standard roadies, but for me, I have to, yeah, do everything I can to kind of conserve, I guess. Huh. So efficiency, is what efficiency. You yeah. I mean, if the course kicks uphill a little bit, um, that favors me just like real punchy stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, the flat stuff, I, I struggle a little bit. <laughs> so let's start there with handlebars. Um, and Jake, I think you could probably speak to this. Uh, a lot of people just see handlebars and they know that like some bars have like, you know, bar width is different or, you know, they might have like an ergo bend. You see a lot of them with like the straight kind of and segmented bending throughout them. Um, but for you, from a product engineering standpoint, what makes for a, like an ideally performing road bar? Um, are there certain things that you guys do that to take to make a bar actually perform better instead of just having the normal curly Q shape, I guess is what I'm getting at. Yeah, of course. So, you know, with, <clears throat> with Envy, when we look at product, our goal, it's always function first. That's, that's where we start. So when we look at something, um, we're always approaching it and we're approaching it from a rider standpoint. So we've all had, a, we've all ridden a lot of handlebars. Uh, so when I say we particularly, I'm talking about, um, myself and the engineers, you know, I don't really race anymore, but I used to base, I used to do a lot of road racing and crit racing and, um, you know, I had a lot of different bars with supposed ergo features and unique bands and kinks and all sorts of interesting like shapes. 
and they weren't particularly bad and the human body's amazing that it can you know between the brain and the body it can adapt to nearly anything you know as is evidenced by many of our bike fits that are listening to this yeah, <laughs> yeah like, <clears throat> so you know a lot of times people are just well if you know i'm i'm used to it i'm comfortable with it it's just because you're used to it or comfortable with it doesn't necessarily mean that what you have is some sort of ideal setup um and so with with our handlebars kevin nelson's the engineer who's basically had a hand in 100% of every component that Envy has ever manufactured. And he has a, a, a great design eye, but as well, as well, he has a very good um, mind for getting the fit and the features right on a, on a component. And what, you know, with, with our road bar specifically, you know, we have a couple different drops. So we have like a, a deeper drop bar and then a compact drop bar. And then we have the arrow road bar, which is the bar that um, the cliff bar guys are using primarily. And, but all those bars, like in the drops, for example, they have a, a continuous, you know, a continuous curvature drop. It's, it's never kinked or anything. It has some very subtle elliptical kind of teardrop type ovalized shaping in the drops to provide more purchase where you have your hands placed. So is that almost like a, a flat spot almost? Yeah, like kind so of Because I was riding down here with uh, from San Francisco with some journalists, and it was the first time one of the journalists had ridden on an Envy bar, and he would not stop talking about it. He was like oh, really? blown away. He was like, "It's this is so smart. It's got like a flat spot for my hands down here. Not like a flat, and like you said, that it has like a kink in the curl, mm -hmm. but it has like in the, if you look at like the ovality of the bar, like, or in the shape of the bar, there's actually like a, a kind of a flat spot in it, right? Yeah. That's so smart. There's really, instead of really extreme ergonomic shapes that, um, what you'll see with a lot of carbon bars is they have these very, you know, ergonomic or oval type shapes and then you wrap them with bar and then all of a sudden it's not the right diameter so we keep the shaping really subtle and then you can it allows the customer or the the rider to really fine tune the fit and the fill of the bar based on you know different bar tip bar tape um thicknesses and then again you know it's just it's a it's a continuous curvature around um to the flat where it drops and that just allows you to get your hands where you want and also when we're talking about you know like up that's riding primarily in the hoods versus maybe a guy that's riding the drops like the guy in the drop wants to have a lot of support so he may roll his bar forward a little bit more to make sure that his his drops aren't you know causing him to slip off and so he's looking for a little more support in the drops where maybe you're going to roll your bars back a little bit more bring your hoods up so you can hook your hands into those a little bit more stably and i i'm actually not much of a drop guy myself i like yeah. I, i'm slammed but i when i'm when my when I'm nose in the wind, I feel like my fastest position is, you know, kind of like AJ, where the the levers are tilted in a little bit, and then you're hooking, um, you're hooking and get and bringing yeah, your arms and flatten. Exactly. And what one of the things that our arrow road bar does is, yeah, it has an arrow cross section to it. Yeah. But we're our big focus with that product is the concept of fit is fast. So meaning, you're only as fast as your bike fit, and you're only as fast as your body position is permitting you to be. So. A unique feature of that bar is that it's actually quite narrow across the the hoods yeah. um, at, compared to a standard say you know when we're so if, say take a 42 centimeter bar that's measured center to center um, our aero road bar compared to our compact bar is going to measures 39 huh. uh, or 37 actually 37 centimeters across the hoods right. but it's, and then it's 42 in the drops um, and the idea there is it brings your shoulders in it brings your elbows in and the amount, like, yeah, the bar itself is very fast and tests well in the wind tunnel, but the arrow gains in the real world 
it's the position for sure. It's and, all about the position. And that, that feeling like being locked in the hoods of my arrow road bar is like, it like feels like it's like, oh, like, like now, now I can pedal really hard and really fast. And like, that's, that's that position that, I don't know, that the narrowness of the, along the top makes that feel like mm-hmm. everything's right, right? Like you're tucked in and ready to go. You feel it for yeah. sure. Oh, you feel it. So that's something. So there are a lot of things there with the bars. Um, I have so many things I want to cover. With <laughs> yeah, that's a lot of stuff. <laughs> it was awesome. Like you're, it was so good. Um, well, let me. But I think coming please. back to summarize really quick is it's it's not one thing. It's looking at the whole. It's holistically looking at what's the objective of the product. So the arrow road bar. The objective is how do we make a, how do we help a rider be as fast as possible that's riding an arrow road bike. Yeah. Like that person is obviously racing. If you're yeah. not racing, there's really no reason for you to be on that bar. Yeah, yeah, or I mean, that, or an right. arrow road bike. Yeah. <laughs> or yeah. an arrow road bike, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it's understanding the the goals of the rider and then applying that to the product to make sure that the product is delivering on some promise that resonates with the rider. And so whereas like our compact bar is more of a traditional road bar, it's about being lightweight, um, being comfortable, knowing that that guy is going to be doing longer rides and again lightweight and he's actually going to ride probably in like the flat handlebar position where the guy on the arrow road bars never in the mount how do we call this like you're just on the tops of the bars horizontal yeah that that's not really a position you do yeah yeah exactly (laughs) well i think it's important to note too that um that the designer that jake mentioned um kevin actually also has a pretty big background of crit racing and bike racing um i mean he grew up racing in the midwest and then in california as well so he's he's very yeah yeah so he's he's very experienced in and um not just as a designer but you know and in riding fast and racing too so yeah Yeah. so he kind of understands the needs and um yeah it was was a cool process i think i was just coming on to envy as that bar was um uh, i was just hired to envy as that bar was kind of being developed and he was kind of reaching out to to everyone to get feedback on on the needs of it so there was definitely a lot of thought process for sure it's a super unique bar like i i hadn't seen one that flared out like that and then once i saw it it actually made a lot of sense especially because if you think about it when you get down into your drops like that and if you have to reach down to your drops and they're hidden underneath the tops of your bars like that you end up flaring out your shoulders you end up flaring out your elbows and you aren't as aero like you said and that if you're using the drops it's another like benefit you know it lets you be more aero um, so something I wanted to touch on, why don't you have one of those, I mean, I personally dislike these, but why don't you have one of the kinked, instead of a consistent curl to the bar, why don't you have one of those kinked ones? Have you guys found that that, that isn't something that, that is effective or preferred or, um, why is it just round? Um, I, a lot of it's Kevin's personal taste and preference in how <laughs> I was going to say, I think, <laughs> first but, and foremost, yeah. He, but the reason I, the reason I'll speak for him since he can't defend himself. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But the reason he doesn't like that particular is it, it really locks your hand into one position and it really like says like, this is where your bar needs to be rotated. This is how you access your brake lever. Um, and so there's some limitations because when you bring that angle back, you're now, if, if you need to get out there and reach further, you're, you're somewhat, the only way you get maximum reach is if you're in the, ver- the top of that kink there. Because yeah. the further you come down, the further away you get from the brake lever. And so, I mean, it, it can definitely work for people and there's things that me that I personally like about it because um, yeah because I, I'm actually more I don't really move my hands I'm like I'm either here or I'm I'm in the drops or I'm in the tops and so I actually don't dislike that 
yeah. um, bar as much as some people may or may not. But um, it's I also really like our handlebars too. So it's yeah, but from a from a pure functionality standpoint, that's why we don't have that bars because it locks you into a position. It doesn't afford you the adjustability. And again, we believe that you're only as fast as your fit. And this is something I'm sure you guys have talked about in other scenarios is, you know, if and this is especially important in TT, which we'll probably get into more, but mm-hmm. yeah, if you're not set up right on your bike, if you're not comfortable, it doesn't matter how fast the wind tunnel says you are, um, <laughs> or, you yeah. know, if you've got hot spots and you just can't bear to ride in that position, like we, we like to give people the option to, you know, kind of be wherever they want and need to be that in terms of how it feels and what helps them feel like they're fastest. So, Yeah. Uh, something that you mentioned was rolling the bars forward with different bars. Um, do you guys roll your bars forward? Do you roll them back? And when I'm saying that, I'm talking about if you put it in the stem and we're talking about just rolling the bar forward or rolling back just like that, if that makes sense. So that if you look from the side, the bar would be tilted downward, flat or upward. I, yeah. And when when Jake was saying that, it makes total sense because if I'm in the drops, my bars are so set up for the tops that the drops don't feel that good because I'm so rolled, mm. like kind of up. So you would kind of slip out of the bottom of the drops on my bars, mm-hmm. but they're perfect for being locked in on the tops. So I definitely am totally focused on the one position that I like the most. Like I'm optimized, I guess is what it would be. Mm-hmm. But <clears throat> yeah, the drops feel fine and they work really well for descending, but cornering doesn't feel that much better to be in the drops for me. Um, sprinting, yeah, I'd be in the in in the drops, but almost everything else, uh, it's rolled up, up enough. Yeah, like up. up yeah, kind of backing up, backing up. That um, the drops are just a, a handle. They're not like I don't have all those positions that other people have. Like probably AJ has a lot more positions in his drops than I do. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm. You know. Uh, maybe the opposite. <laughs> I, I really like the drops and especially in that aero road bar because it, because of the flare, it's just so comfortable for me to be down there. Um, yeah. so I'll roll mine down a little bit. Um, just cause I do want to be locked into the drops. Um, cause yeah. I, I want to stay there the whole race, you know? Um, and yeah, maybe I'll jump into the top, into the hoods if, if we're climbing something, um, or, you know, punching up something. But, um, yeah, I like being down low and, and in that position. It makes sense that you would then try to, if you can, do the reach adjust on your levers to bring the levers in, mm-hmm. since your yeah, since your bars are rolled forward like that. Yeah. Another thing I wanted to to see, like what, how do you draw the line between flex and then you know and then rigidity with the bar? Because that's something a lot of people I think don't understand either. Is that like all flex isn't bad necessarily? Uh, but at the same time, you have to find like that balance. So like, how do you guys strike that from a production standpoint or from a product standpoint? Uh, do you guys prefer to have more flex or what type of flex do you actually think is good in a road handlebar like this? So <clears throat> throughout our product line, and I mean, when we're looking at any product, we're, there's two concepts. There's the idea that there's good flex and there's bad flex. So good flex is any flex that gives you more control, pr- creates a more responsive product. Um, bad flex, of course, is anything that causes fatigue um, and transmit high, high amounts of uh, vibration and energy into you, the rider on the body. So that's, that's everything, right? Like, you know, if the bike's too stiff, it's going to beat you up. If they had, and your handlebars are so important, right? It's, it's your main, it's your, your number one point of contact. You have, you know, two hands on the bars yeah. and everything's coming up through that, especially on the road bike where you're so, um, 
often heavily weighted towards the your upper body in terms of the bias in terms of the weight distribution on the bike and so um it's a little different than say like a mountain product where you have to have really responsive like inputs to turn the bike you know the, the road bike's a little more um, predictable so there's other you know the cornering is generally if you're doing it right like you're coming in turn like the everything's very predictable to a certain extent on the road bike so um having a super super rigid bar in terms of like steering input i mean it's not it's not the number one goal so i get let me back so for envy it's like safety first right yeah yeah, yeah it's like of course more than Don't anything the bar the bar first has to be 100% tried proven and we need to know that in the lab. So we, we do all the lab testing to first say, okay, it's safe enough. It's passing the industry standard of safety for us to start ride testing. And then from the ride, once we get to the point where we're ride testing, um, that's when we start to play with different flex profiles and say, okay, that bars feels a little harsh. Can we adjust the laminate to, um, you know, absorb more vibration or flex a little bit more, feel smoother over rough roads. And we just, it's just a, uh, iterative, iterative process to dial in it, dial the laminate in until the test riders sign off on it. And we we have a broad range of abilities and experience levels in terms of um, who tests product. Everything from these guys that are racing crits to you know the World Tour Dimension Data guys um, who are, are are a different level of elite athletes, but they're not crit racers either you know so it's it's a different type of racing then we have your grand fondo guys and then just we have a collection of just older guys that ride a lot of miles and so we get a little bit of everything get a little feedback from everyone but what we find out is like different types of guys and different um or different rider types find different things they like about a bar you know so some guys may really like the that it is really comfortable and and other guys may like that it is responsive and it's just finding that balance to where it makes the most sense we're selling a bar to to help make anybody's bike better yeah yeah and it's so it's 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 not that we're trying to create a lukewarm product but we're looking to refine it to make it work for as many people as possible yeah yeah it's kind of like i think tying into this and we'll transition from bars right here to stems i think that when you pair those two together, you know, we, we, we were actually looking at your new mountain bike bars and, and stem that you guys have released. And you're looking at how those two interact together. Like if you just put the bar on, that's one thing, but if you have the bar and the stem, then you'll get like the intended experience. So I assume that you also go in like on, when you're testing your bars, you're testing them, you know, with your stems and you're kind of like delivering, like those two things to deliver like the ideal experience. One thing I see with stems, like you look at pro tour riders and they black out stems and the sprinters have to have these massive blocks of these stems on the front because they can't afford any flex. Like <laughs> that's why they're losing the sprint is because their stem is flexing, they say. So um, on the stems, it's kind of like a hot spot for me. I think it's just so ridiculous when they do that. But what what type of, first of all, stems seem like they'd be very complex to make out of carbon fiber. Um, I assume that there's like a, a whole, I mean, it's not like you're just making a round shape or anything else like that, but it seems like it's pretty complex. How do you guys, do you err on the side of stiffness with your stems or are you the type of brand that's looking to make a more like compliance? Do you engineer that into the stem or is that something you just pass onto the bars and then just make the stem a gigantic, you know, CNC block basically, but carbon. Um, yeah, stiffness is, stiffness is really interesting and what, it, what you'll learn working with athletes is it's a hundred percent subjective. 
Um, <laughs> you can because we because people don't often often people do not understand or know how to, including those of us who work at Emmy. Sometimes it's like we see it a lot in wheels where you can put somebody on a really stiff wheel, like the stiffest wheel you, we could possibly make, and they'll go out and ride and be like, ah, it feels kind of dead. Um, because they're, what people often attribute as being stiff is often not stiff, it's just flexy and responsive, you know, and it has a dynamic sort of ride feel to it. And I think the same goes for cockpit products. So with, again, with the stem, again, a part that absolutely can't fail, right? So safety is number one priority. Like those are just the things you don't mess with. So more than anything, we want to make sure the product is safe yeah. and we always test above what would be, you know, standard industry. Yeah. Um, in our opinion, like we like to make sure that we're well above the the norm. Yeah, um, yeah, makes sense. But then, yeah, with stem, so I mean, a great story is when we started with uh, Dimension Data, you know, we had Cavendish, um, when we back up, we were already with Dimension Data. When Cavendish came to Dimension Data, there's all, all this talk, you guys are gonna have to make a new stem, your stem's <laughs> not gonna be stiff enough, whatever. Yeah. Um, and we were like, we were really concerned about it because you know, we wanted to make sure he'd be happy riding the product. So, you know, we sent him the stem and never a complaint. Like he loves it. He, yeah. he's had a great experience. He's still, he runs our stem. He's not running that massive, gigantic, gigantic block of carbon that he was running <laughs> yeah. before. Yeah. And you know, that stem he was riding before is, is really heavy and stiff. Yeah. And he likes our stem and it's yeah quite a bit lighter and it's nowhere near as stiff, but he says it feels it's as stiff as he needs it to be. Yeah. It's kind of like, <clears throat> sorry. Um, it's like one of those things where, um, it's like any touch point of the bike, right? Like shoes or, or handlebar or, um, helmet, you know, those kind of things that are directly on you. Um, where if, if you're not thinking about it and it's not causing you like any pain or something where you're like, you know, if you're not yeah. talking about it, then yeah. it, that means it's probably pretty good. Pretty um, exactly. yeah. Right. So yeah. it's, uh, it's just doing its job and it's allowing you to actually focus on, you know, um, making the move in the, in the race or, or racing well, you know, the less your mind is concerned about, um, the product. And if that product can kind of disappear under you, then that's almost a win, you know? Um, yeah. and if, uh, you know, you, you want people to say nice things and, and good things, but, um, I don't, it's almost like saying nothing is, is better, you know, in that yeah. sense, like exactly with Cavendish, you know, if it obviously was stiff enough and it obviously did the job and, and, um, you know, was engineered well enough to, to handle what, what it needed to handle. So. But what he did notice is the bar. So he, the bar wasn't stiff enough for him. So, you know, that's one of the things that we, we did make a stiffer calf specific handlebar huh, and, cool. you know, just, but I, one of the things that Envy is, you know, we're testing everything on like steer tubes can make a difference is what, I mean, everything at yeah. the front end of the bike, there's a lot going on. So everything from the head tube to the steer tube to you know, the stem and bar and all the interfaces therein can uh, affect how the ride feels. But when we're testing product, most of the time we're on an envy fork, um, you know, with an envy stem and an envy bar and envy wheels. And so it's, sometimes people don't get the full experience that we're yeah. having because they may not, they may be missing a component in the system and we're not selling a system, but when all the products on the bike are designed using the same philosophy, yeah. there's a, there's a, there's a beautiful, uh, there's a really harmonious experience that happens that sometimes gets lost when, it's you know, maybe the it. fork's different or there's an aluminum stem in the middle that, you know, is yeah. transmitting vibration at a different frequency than the carbon stem would. So then, cause we don't, 
we don't test our bars on other people's stems. You yeah. don't test it on an Emmy stem. So yeah. you see this on the mountain bike side a lot where like people are like, oh, your wheels feel really harsh. And you're like, well, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, but, but we've we've only tested our wheels with a carbon bar and stem potentially, or yeah. at least definitely a carbon bar. You know, we're not riding an aluminum bar and you find out, yeah. well, they're riding an aluminum bar. Um, so maybe, maybe our wheel is a little bit stiffer than what they're, maybe our wheel would feel stiffer to us if it wasn't, if those vibrations weren't being muted out, you totally. know, through this amazing carbon handlebar yeah. that we've developed to be really comfortable and absorb a lot of that vibration. And yeah. Um, so, yeah, there's a, there's a level of, there's a definite synergy that exists amongst like products. And I think that yeah. goes for any brand. Like, I mean, you have to assume that if the engineering team is developing the project in a, you know, in an environment where they're collaborating on all the parts, then there's going to have those parts should harmonize together really well. And just going to deviate really quickly, but it's a tangent on that. My first uh, carbon bars that I got for a mountain bike, I got them and they were not envies and I put them on and I ended up actually having to turn down my rebound damping like four clicks because those things felt like a leaf spring. Like every bump I was hitting was like boing, boing, boing. They were like bouncing around. Like they were light, sure, but they were so flexible that I then had to make changes all throughout the rest of the bike and it was bad. You know, I ended up getting rid of them because they were so flexible. It was, it was actually bad. So um, yeah, I totally get that. Stem length, I wanna cover that. And then angles oh, yeah. too. Why, what length do you run, Pete? Then what length do you run, AJ? I, I actually ran a 110 for a long time, um, just until maybe last year. Okay. Um, and I've, my bikes have always fit the exact same. And this year I went to a 120 and I think I'm like getting older. I'm not sure. Something <laughs> happened and my body changed shape and all of a sudden it was more comfortable to be slightly more stretched out. Huh. But I definitely used to run really small and compact on the bike, like a little bowling ball yeah. or something. I, You're uh, yeah. Up. Um, but uh, actually, I don't. I don't necessarily like a steep, negative angled stem. I kind of like everything to feel connected, like we were talking about earlier. Like I'm, I'm more happy with a solid front end that feels responsive and and adjusts to my inputs. And like I always feel like with AJ and I, not the negative. 17 or 20 degree stems make your handling worse, but it is a different handling experience. And I feel like I handle a bike better with, you know, just a more mellow yeah. negative angle stem. Um, just you can turn better and that's more important to me than being lower. So I'm a 120, 120 guy, slightly, slightly slung out. Um, but it's all about handling for me. Like that's definitely the most important part. So we see nonstop, like 120 mil, 130 mil, negative 17 degree stems or something in the pro peloton. What do you run, AJ? Uh, well, shoot, <laughs> I fall right into that. <laughs> there we um, go. <laughs> I'm a 120 millimeter um, length, uh, but it really depends on the, the bike itself. I mean, you have to kind of look at, um, you know, the head tube angle, the, the top tube. Um, and I even look at like the seat tube and head tube together, um, you know, when those are a little bit more parallel. Um, it, for some reason, the bike feels a little bit better with, with the longer stem where you can kind of reach out over the front. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, but on, uh, like, like on a cross bike, you know, just totally different direction, but it's, uh, yeah, being up and, and back a little bit or, you know, like it's similar to that mountain bike feel where you kind of want to be over the rear wheel a little bit more. So, yeah. um, yeah, I think, uh, looking at 
all aspects of your bike is kind of the most important part, you know, and it's, and, and then also your body too, and what you're capable of. And, and then also what you're capable of, of holding too, right? Like a 120 stem, you know, down in that low position might get you, you know, super aero position. It's super efficient, but can you stay there for an hour? You know, and that <laughs> you have wrecked, to consider yeah. that. So, um, yeah, I mean, that's, uh, all you, you have to evaluate everything. Yeah. Why doesn't envy make like a negative 20 degree stem? I don't, I mean, <laughs> we don't, we don't even make a negative 17. Let's get exactly. there first. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't, I mean, I think stem length, you know, years ago when I first started at envy, I would have thought that's negative seven or not negative 17, that like 130 and 140 stems and yeah. we're done and gone and that they would just fade into the ether, but they haven't. And yeah. you know, we're, <laughs> I mean, dimension data, we only ship them 120 to 140. Wow. millimeter length stems i mean there might be a couple guys running a 110 here or there but i i don't think s- they're maybe only one or two yeah um they mismarked the spreadsheet yeah <laughs> may, maybe i mean and i i don't know i mean i i have stems from 35 millimeters to 120 so yeah. <laughs> on on different bikes and but like yeah my road bike is 120 pretty consistently maybe sometimes a 110 my gravel bikes are 90 mil 80 to 90 and then my mountain bikes are 35 to 50 millimeter i I just think it again it it depends on the bike the geometry of the bike are you are you trying to fit on a smaller frame or are you getting a big frame and you know it ultimately just comes down to whatever's comfortable and so we we simply learned that we got to give give the people what they want that makes sense. It Options. seems, and it seems like the pros. A lot of them run a smaller chassis, perhaps than like what a lot of oh, us yeah. run. And if then, you're on, like thusly, six, six four, you're going to run like a fifty two centimeter, <laughs> yeah. uh, maybe a fifty four. Yeah. If yeah, you're yeah. like long, long femured. And they're yeah. like, the it, seat post sticks out the top if we try to stick yeah. it. <laughs> six inch saddle to handlebar drop. Yeah, know. they've got a flagpole for a seat yeah. post in there. Um, so I mean, it, and so if anybody's wondering, that's it's really like you're just trying to get the proper reach, right? And depending on the frame size and everything else it'll change a bit um going backward from the contact points another why question for you why haven't you guys made a saddle because you make a seat post you make this bar you make a stem you make a fork make wheels aj's smiling i don't know (laughs) (laughs) but why don't you guys make a saddle (laughs) um or sell a saddle i guess (laughs) why don't we sell a saddle yeah sell a saddle there we go um yeah i it's it's just it's just the process right like we have we run a pretty we run a small crew and we have a lot going on and we have a long list of products and we have we have a process where we go through and say okay what what when we're determining what's next next and there's a you know it's just how they rank you know and um you know it's like what's the market asking for um what do we believe has the most opportunity both yeah. in terms of revenue and as well as brand positioning as as well as like needs from the rider. So it's, it's looking Makes at all those sets and then it's like ranking those and everybody votes and ranks on ranks what they think the priorities need to be. And then we get together and decide and then rolled out. So, I mean, we have gotcha. a long product pipeline and the saddle may or may not be on that list, but it, right. it's a contact point and it's interesting and you can do a lot with carbon too. I mean, I've been riding carbon saddle for 10 years now meaning no padding on it I mean no padding i mean that's what a chamois for like why double up <laughs> <laughs> you bring up a great point but i mean a, a well-made carbon saddle uh can flex and yeah. in a lot of ways be more comfortable than you know 
and plus it's really light. So yeah, yeah. I, I've had I've had really great luck um, riding carbon saddles. Not really great luck crashing them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> understand. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> but I mean, as long as you're just riding them, <laughs> they, yeah, yeah. they're pretty fantastic. So <laughs> well, I think it's also important to note too, like in that process of figuring out what we want to you know dive into next. Um, it's it's what we at Envy like. Uh, we all ride. What, what do we want to make next? You know, and there's, I think all, that's super important. Yeah. There's a lot of cool ideas and, um, you know, it's, it's a ton of brainstorming of like, you know, different engineers want different things. They see different things on their bike. Maybe they like, or could improve or, or make them themselves. Um, so yeah, there's a ton of, uh, I mean, wild ideas on that list, you know, that Jake mentioned. Um, but, uh, you know, where they rank and fall in order kind of all depends, but yeah. so yeah, it's, um, yeah, what what we we I mean that's kind of how we started too is like, you know what we wanted to make the coolest stuff on our bike. Yeah, that makes sense. Going downward from their seat posts, um, you guys make a seat post. I ran that seat post before, and it made a substantial difference in my bike. I was really surprised. Um, I had like a feathery light uh, S Works one in my bike, and I felt like I was on like kind of a leaf spring again. And then I switched over to that one and my saddle felt more comfortable all of a sudden. My whole bike felt more comfortable. It was like less vibration. How do you guys, like uh, when you design a seat post, it's, it seems like a really critical part again that goes under like a lot of leverage. Do you do anything different with something like that to make sure that you still get the vibration characteristics out of it? Or is it tougher to get that damping in such like a critical high leverage part? Well, I. Jumping in on this one, I, yeah. <laughs> um, I actually firsthand watched uh, Kevin um, once again. He, you know, he was biggest hand in that project. Um, and on our roads uh, specific seat post, it's three hundred millimeters versus the four hundred millimeter on um, that one was pretty cool. I mean, I watched him almost in a fury, just rapid prototype so <laughs> many seat posts, testing them, different. Uh, laminates and layups to get it like exactly where he wanted it um within this range kind of in the test lab and it was super cool you know i was just kind of a bystander watching him like feverishly work on this project uh, <laughs> to get it to this point but it was kind of like okay this is really important um yeah. so it was it was interesting and you know he uh, he may not even been aware that i was watching or what was going <laughs> on but it was cool to see him just so stuck on that that idea that it that it should flex in a certain way and it should respond in a certain way. So how, how should a seat post flex or respond or anything else like that, Jake? Like what should be, what would be the characteristics of a good seat post? Again, it has to work. Yeah, so, yeah of course. <laughs> um, we, you know, we're on our second, iter second iteration of a, a clamp design. So the original one was, um, round in it. If, if the exact installation procedures weren't followed, you could get slippage, um, which nobody really wants. Um, so the new new design has a mechanical lock so that the saddle itself can't slip. And then one of the features of the seat post is that it has really narrow clamping or rail support. Um, the the rails that the rail cradles are really quite narrow, yeah. which gives you a broader range of adjustability. So you'll see some seat posts have really wide support support areas, yep. which limits the amount of fore aft adjustment you can get. So we we try to. Um, minimize that area so you can get maximum adjustability fore aft. Yeah. Um, so that can that can affect how the saddle is flexing, of course, yeah. um, on on that rail as it pivots in the in the cradles there. And then the the shaft itself is you know we originally only had a 400 um, millimeter seat post and we a few years ago introduced a 300 millimeter simply because 
Um, the laminate itself is tapering um, internally, so uh, the inside. So it's is, not a consistent wall thickness. No, it's consistent wall thickness, not at all. So interesting. The wall thickness tapers, and so there's a zone which you can cut it to, you know, trim off. But what we found is like, obviously, like the the road guy doesn't need when he cuts the 400 millimeter C post down to 250. You know, he's cutting it basically in a zone that is like the flex area where you're getting, you know. This, the taper and all that all that's going on so you you can negatively affect it by cutting it so that's why we have two different lengths and each of those lengths has a specifically tailored laminate for the length that it's at um and then yeah you can trim the bottom but you're not getting into the the clamping zone and the the, the wall thickness thing so it's just it's just refining i i think that's really it with envy is like there's no there's nobody telling us we have to fall within a like yeah. there is no cost limit to doing it right it's just do it right and if take as not as, as long as you need but take the time you need to do it right and don't let's not leave anything on the table in terms of mm. you know if if there's something we can do with the laminate to make it lighter stronger find that perfect balance of strength weight and ride quality then like every, do everything you can in your power to get us there and you know if we have a hard sort of launch date or timeline we have to stick to then let's bring it to market and then immediately get started on the next concept or iteration. So. Yeah. Yeah. I, it's something interesting. I bet a lot of people don't understand. Oh, well, I mean the production side of thing, like you said, in terms of priorities and then that wall thickness thing, does that extend also to your handlebars as well? Or do they have consistent wall thickness throughout? Not nothing. Everything, everything has a unique laminate and the laminates are just developed specifically to, flex in certain places where you want them to flex and not flexing you know that's the cool thing about carbon you can do whatever you want with it really yeah yeah it's not just carbon tubes believe it or not yeah. <laughs> there's a little more to it uh forks you make a fork and a lot of bikes come with forks um make a few forks you make a few forks <laughs> yeah we make quite a few forks yeah you do um why do you make those because i i assume that though like you know forks probably don't or I, I don't know maybe they don't sell as often just because a lot of bikes come with forks but Clearly, you guys must think that there's like a reason a good fork should exist, or something unique you do with a fork. So, what what are you what are you going for when you make a fork? Yeah, I mean, to understand our forks, you have to understand where we come from, where we've come from in terms of like when Envy first started. You know, the forks were some of the first products we made, and the goal with the forks was to service the the custom frame builder market. It was at a time when all the frame manufacturers were coming out with their own forks, and a lot of the um, a lot of companies that were known for making forks, like Reynolds, um, as an example, you know, had decided to stop making forks. And so there was this, all this demand for a high-end um, aftermarket fork when all these guys were saying, now oh, there's no money, there's no future in forks, yeah. we're out. And, and we, Edge at the time, said, we're in. Um, yeah. And we went to the custom frame builders and said, what can we do to service your, your business? How can we help you grow? How can we be your partner? And you know that we we have helped the custom frame builder industry by supplying them with the forks they need and carbon tubing um, over the years. But with the fork itself, when it gets down to the design of it, we did some we did some really cool, unique things at the time. Carbon forks originally started out with you know carbon lower legs with aluminum steer tubes that were bonded together, right? And yeah. then it and then it evolved to carbon legs and carbon steer tube, but they were two pieces. And then you're bonding or co-molding uh, the steer tube to the the lowers. And when we came into it, we said we're going to make one piece fork. It's going to be you know one piece of 
fiber from the top of the stair tube to the bottom of the dropout molded in one piece and that's what we did and um it was it provided a ride quality that people had just a level of um has just a resonance that just felt solid and dialed but it was a yeah. really light fork and they're they were completely hollow through the crown the bladder material is completely removed and so a lot of forks then were solid in the crown like completely solid yeah. and then they you go and drill the drill the brake hole through it and it's a solid yeah. block of carbon yeah um and our fork is hollow there and the 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 nut or the the brake nut hole um or bolt hole was is molded into the fork so it's continuous fibers um running throughout the whole fork so it's it just it provided a unique ride quality at a at a really low weight so it was like it wasn't that it didn't have the noodly ride quality of forks of similar weight it was it had ride quality of a really heavy solid fork but it weighed less than lightweight forks <laughs> yeah and it was stronger than all of them as well because it was it's continuous fibers running throughout the fork so i mean that's always been the philosophy with envy is carbon carries its uh, you know the reason carbon's awesome is because it can carry a load under tension right and so yeah. keeping all the fibers intact um, running continuous fibers whenever and wherever possible is one of the things that we prioritize interesting so from forks to wheels to handlebars you know we're looking to keep the fibers uninterrupted for the to maximize the potential of the material itself hmm. Uh, let's get into wheels. Let's do that. Wheels. We like wheels. Yeah. <laughs> Bread and um, butter. There's a lot to talk about with wheels. Um, so something that I, so I, I run, I don't run Envy road wheels right now. Um, I should, uh, but I, I've run, I run them on the mountain bike. You said it, people. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, but I've, I've ran them on the mountain bike now for just over three years. So uh, there are a bunch of different technical things I want to get into, but like, once again, I'm, I'm sure it's, you know, engineering flex, that sort of thing when you go into the rims, but, uh, what is something that, what's a characteristic that you search for in a rim? Because there are plenty of rims that I've ridden. Like I had a pair of aluminum Easton's that were like super lightweight and I would, I could just make them new shapes by just putting power into the pedals. Right. Um, like Pete, Pete, you run which wheels? I run seven eighths, which um, are a deep section wheel because you race crits. Yeah, but they're they're my favorite wheels I've ever ridden for sure. Like, yeah. I I don't even swap wheels. Like I just run them all the time. Yeah, <laughs> I, it's like why would I put any other wheel on this? Like I'll go climb. It's like oh, we have an hour lunch ride. We're gonna climb for fifty minutes of that and then descend. And I was like, yep, I'll take my seven eights. Yeah, yeah. Why it's do you like, do, why do you do that versus <laughs> like um, versus having a shallower wheel? Like um, that? I'm big enough that the wind um, never has really bothered me. Actually, like box sections blow me around more than the envies do now. Um, but that was many moons ago when I didn't run envy wheels, which I feel so spoiled that I get to do that all yeah, the time. You're pretty spoiled. I'm now. pretty spoiled. Yeah, spoiled. Um, but for me, like the input and the output with envy wheels are the biggest feeling that I always get. Like okay. that you put your leg over your bike, you clip in and that first pedal stroke, like that's the feeling that you get with the seven eights where it's just like, yep, it's right. Like you can feel, you can feel the forward momentum. You can feel the bike lean over right, you can feel everything. Like it feels like my nitrogen that I race most of the time should have seven eights on it. And it's like this perfect synergy that I just like that bike so much. Yeah, there's, they're like, um, they're, 
they're stiff. I've, I've ran the seven eights or I'm running them on the TT bike. Um, the time's been, they're stiff, but not abusive, I guess. Like they're, they're all the good qualities of stiff. What, what do you run AJ? I assume the same cause you do sim- like the similar type of racing. Yeah. I, um, I mean, I, uh, I'm fortunate enough. I have a pretty big fleet wheels, but, depending on the course, um, you know, I, I certainly like the seven eights for something a little more flat, you know, um, it seems like they really come alive, uh, at like 27 mile an hour and above where they just love to sit at that, that range. And That's exactly what I was telling Jake that I noticed the tipping point recently. Yeah. At the same speed. Yeah. yeah. They just feel really good there. Um, or like, a like the four or five, you know, is an awesome, awesome meal set too. You know, if it's a really technical crit and we're sprinting out of, you know, eight corners again and again and again, um, I like that I can get those up to speed really fast. You can, you can feel the snap with the four or fives. Actually, sw- I do swap every once in a while. Um, <laughs> but the snap with the four or fives is... Like the rapid acceleration yeah. you're saying? It yeah. Does feel- yeah, so for, for just for people that aren't familiar with the product line, I, we're talking about like what makes what makes a wheel feel different. And, yeah. and, and since we have the mic and we're here, we're Let's just going to talk about it. This is, <laughs> this is the greatest Emmy commercial ever. No, <laughs> but, um, it's not meant to be. Hopefully yeah, we so can understand is, is what we're you know, telling you is faster. there's no, but I mean, what is people always want to know like what's different with them? Why is Emmy different? And it's, it goes back to, it's like, it's a performance function first approach to all the products. So with wheels early on, we we didn't have an arrow program. We didn't have an arrow story and we, we knew we needed it. We knew we didn't have it because we'd taken our wheels of the wind tunnel and realized we were nowhere near what the better, the leading arrow wheel minds were doing at the time. And so we said, okay, we need to learn this aerodynamic thing. So we, we partnered with Simon smart, who's a former formula one, um, aerodynamicist. He's uh, anybody from the UK listening knows how crazy, the Brits are about time trials. Yeah, yeah. It's not intuitive. quite, it's not quite the same in the U S but no. the British love their time trialing. Yeah. And, and as such, there's a lot of triathletes there that are very focused on cycling performance as all triathletes should be. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, they should. This is not a protracted suffer fest just to get to a run people. Yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> exactly. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Bikes do matter. Yes, <laughs> no. they do. Um, but you know, so we, we were fortunate enough to partner with Simon smart and he was, he was, this is where you guys will appreciate. He was working with a lot of world tour time trialists and teams and triathletes working on um, optimization, right? Yeah. Bike, body, fit, all that stuff. And kind of like what we're doing with our 40 KTT. Exactly. So he's he's trying yeah. to figure out how do we how do we get you as fast as possible, right? Yep. And what he what he started seeing was, and this is in the time of you know, like the Zip 1080, and you know a lot of 100 millimeter deep, 110 millimeter deep wheels. Yeah. Um, what he's seen is like these wheels were so. F- fast is in a wind tunnel by themselves but you put them in a bike not those wheels specifically but any wheel like he's noticed that the way that different wheels interact with different frame surfaces uh, very greatly and so and you'd also see that you, you send a rider like you're fine in the wind tunnel or in a really static or sort of environment on a really deep wheel but then you go out in the real world and you get blown off the road and you're terrified and you're always out of your aero position because you're looking for stability <laughs> that's really slow um, and that's yeah, like nothing slower right and, and yeah. plus mentally you're just you're just exhausted like I just rode the Queen K for seven to six hours, seven hours, you know, and you're, you know, typical travel the whole entire time. Yeah. And it was just a battle, you know, <laughs> yeah. and it was terrifying and all this stuff. So, you know, 
so our arrow program began with these ideas we need to you know stable fast and light you know we we know how to we know how to make something out of carbon we know that the continuous fibers give the way we manufacture and produce a wheel regardless of the shape gives it a unique ride <laughs> feeling that like you said from that first pedal stroke an mv wheel set has a very unique feel um and that's because of what we do on the manufacturing side then from an aerodynamic side we said okay no holds barred how do we make the best real world performing aero wheel set period Okay, we got, we've got our aerodynamicist now. We've got a phenomenal wind tunnel. We're working out of the Formula Wind Tunnel, best aero or best um, wind tunnel technology available because, mm-hmm. you know, it's Formula One. They spare no expense on yeah, no, that. No. So we, yeah. we know, we know our, our equipment's calibrated and um, so we're ready to go. Okay, so now let's look at the shapes and we do the shapes. And we said, okay, well, the front of the bike is different than the back of the bike. Look at anything in the world that travels through air or water, and you will see that none of them are the same front to back, right? Boats are different. Airplanes are different. And the reason is because the way that the airflow interacts with the front of that object is different than the back of the object. So the question is, you know, why should wheels be any different, right? The front of the bike sees a different airflow field than the back of the bike. Um, And that was something we just initially said, okay, there may be something there. Let's, Let's test it and see if we can find some incremental gains that, yeah. so we said, okay. So we, we did some tests and we, we came up with a way to rapid prototypes wheels and, and we learned that, yeah, there is something there, okay? The front of the bike, um, the front of the bike and the back of the bike, different flow fields. Okay, so the front of the bike, stability, right? Like mm-hmm. this is where you're in your aero position. It's all about being stable. We gotta make the front wheel as stable as possible. In fact, we're gonna sacrifice some um, aerodynamic efficiencies of the front wheel to make it more stable. We're going to do that. That makes sense if it's keeping you in the aero position. Totally. Like in the end, you're going to be faster. We, so yeah. we're going to. So we'll, we're we're happy to give up one or two watts on the front wheel um, because you're going to pick up you know 15 to 150 watts by staying in your aero position, <laughs> yeah, exactly. right? So yeah. and then the back of the bike. Now we're talking about recovering all the flow. It's come off the wheel. It's come off the down tube. It's come off your legs and your feet and the cranks and all that. Now we're just looking at flow recovery. So let's get the air attached to the wheel, rear wheel as fast as possible. So all the SES wheels are different depths and shapes front to back. That's like when we were talking about seven, eight, four, five. Yep. That means the front wheel comes is the first number. Second wheel is the. Seven. Yeah. So like a 4.5 is a 48 and a 56, 48 millimeter front, 56 millimeter rear, seven, eight to um, 71. And it's actually like a 79 rear, but yeah. you know, we're rounding. Yeah, yeah, yeah. of course. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> Mine yeah. better be an 80. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> but yeah, so that's, so that was like, that was, you know, first gen SES. And then now what's cool about the 7.8, and this is where we have to circle back because there are a lot of people listening. They're like, I could never ride a 7.8. That will, I get blown off the road and die. Yeah, how'd we, you do that? Because we, the other day, I went down on a windy day down a local climb, and trainer road users that are listening to this, Geiger, um, I went down it. I was not doing the workout, um, and it's not supposed to be the same. But anyways, long descent, and I went down that in my aero position on the TT bike the whole time in a windy day, seven eights, and it's a curvy descent, mm-hmm. and I had zero problems with it. I've ridden deep section wheels before, and not in the aero position is terrifying. How do you build a wheel that doesn't react poorly to crosswinds <laughs> that to get down to the real technical science of that, it would be awesome to have Simon smart on the podcast, but yeah. um, it's, it's, it's the science behind the wheels. It's, yeah. it's all the time we spent in the wind tunnel. And that's so from first gen, the first generation of 
Smart Envy system wheels had our deepest wheel was called an eight point nine. And we had a 6.7 and a 4.5. I like the 8.9s too. He's yeah. fair. If he still has them, he pulls them out. Yeah, they're <laughs> when even he's really serious about a time trial. <laughs> <laughs> and they're awesome. But what's so with the new generation, what we found is by doing some, again, changes to this, some very subtle changes to the shape of the, of the, of the, the rim itself, um, we are able to create a more dynamic flow cycle on the wheel for lack okay. of a better description yeah, yeah. um but effectively what we, we've been able to do is create make a shallower wheel that's just as fast as the previous deeper wheel but it has way better stability or way better handling mannerisms yeah. um and then the seven eight the seven eight is absolutely in my opinion more stable than some of our shallower wheels um, because the flow attachment to it is very predictable um and I've I've found that for example our three four like all the a lot of people love to ride the three four because they believe that is going to be the safest most stable wheel Best they can ride. Compromise, yeah. But what I've what I've found is it's often the way the airflow attaches and reattaches that wheel is actually um, in a lot of ways less predictable. Yeah, so yeah. You, you can you'll feel more side force on the, like a deeper wheel. Yeah. Or one of our deeper wheels, but it's when the air releases and attaches to the wheel, it happens at a longer um, wavelength so okay. to, to describe yeah. it, a longer wavelength at longer intervals, and it's more predictable. So your mind has more time to, to react and understand what the, how the air is interacting with the wheel itself. Huh. And so I, for anybody out there that's terrified of wheels deeper than 50 millimeters, I cannot encourage you enough to give an NV like 5.6 or 7.8 wheel set a try because I think you'll be amazed at how stable an envy will set be because not all rim shapes are created equal they may look the same relatively you know yeah generally speaking a carbon right. wheel is not a carbon wheel is not a carbon wheel but that's what they look like it's a black carbon wheel it's 50 millimeters deep i almost got blown off the road on this one so every carbon wheel in 50 millimeters is going to blow me off the road not true there's a lot of science that goes in and subtleties that you are not going to see with the naked eye that me can make or break a wheel in terms of like how comfortable or how stable it is how comfortable you'll be riding it in crosswinds and yeah it's a massive difference and especially like uh i think of all the ridiculous things we're doing to save watts for this 40k time trial and like and then if to think like if you get out of arrow i remember we were talking um i believe that maybe recalling this wrong but at arrow sport when we were doing some arrow testing uh i asked him how slow or how, how much time will I lose if I take a drink from a bottle? And like, he was like, it depends obviously for each person. He said, but if you reach down from your arrow position, but stay in arrow position, like with one arm and then reach down and grab a bottle and then drink and then put it back. He's like, you've lost probably three seconds. And I'm like, we do ridiculous things to save less time than that. <laughs> like, yeah. Drinking water, not enough. <laughs> yeah. So, so just thinking about that. Yeah. Like if it keeps you in arrow position, it's a more stable wheel and it allows you to keep power down rather than hesitating. It's yeah, it, it definitely makes you faster. I want to get into a, a couple things with, with wheels. Um, first of all, um, uh, internal width. So we're seeing rims getting wider and wider internally. Um, why is that a good thing? Because you guys all run pretty wide internal width rims and you run like broader or like bigger volume tires. Why do they keep getting wider? What's the advantage behind a wider internal width? Well, uh, cornering's fun. Um, <laughs> and uh, you know, it's it's more fun when you're confident and in control. And um, yeah, it just boils down to having more of a contact patch and just a solid feel um, yeah. with the road. Um, 
so yeah when we can widen out the the rim and um you know widen out that tire we can effectively run a little bit lower pressure too that's still just as fast um but uh allows you to just feel more confident when you're in the arrow position and you know leaning it over into a corner um so that's probably one of the main reasons um at least that that i i appreciate um what rit, what width do you run in terms of tires, Pete, and I, pressure? I only run 25s. 25s. Pretty much. I guess I run 28s on my 4.5 ARs. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I'm running pretty low pressure for, like, I weigh 205 pounds on a good day. Yeah. Um, and, all good uh, days. What about right now? <laughs> uh, right now. All good days. All good days, Pete. All good uh, days. Uh, yeah. I, and I run probably... 80 pounds most of the time. Wow. Yeah. That's, that's yeah. usually what I'm running in, in mm -hmm. this stuff. Yeah. Yeah. 80 pounds. Um, if they're the race wheels, they've got latex tubes. And if they're not race wheels, they're tubeless. Yeah. Um, and I probably even run a little less in the tubeless wheels. So, so rim width. Yeah. Yeah. Your <clears throat> disc brakes have come onto the, the scene, right? In the last few years. And so before disc brakes, you are literally designing a wheel within a box. Oh you know, yeah, yeah, around the you, brake you, caliper. You have a brake caliper and it is limiting. So the brake caliper it, and all the geometry and dimensions around making that brake caliper work um, limit you as a wheel manufacturer to so you guys are to the shape of the wheel. when disc brakes started coming out. <laughs> well, yeah, like, so I mean, it, it literally, <laughs> yeah, it literally allows you to rethink, you know, and, and re-optimize wheels. So that's, that's why like a wheel, a really, we have a wheel called the 4.5 All-Road and it was born out of this, it was born out of this realization that, you know, when our pros are out there racing spring classics and they're putting these big, you know, 30 millimeter tubulars on these narrow, you know, 18, 19 millimeter internal width rims, you know, you've got this ice cream cone um, cross section, which is horrible for aerodynamics. The pointy, and you're talking like a pointy like rim, you're saying? Yeah, so yeah. we just, yeah, like our old, our, our OG 4.5, yeah, our OG 4.5. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, real, it's like an 18 and a half internal or something, and these guys are running a 28 or 30 millimeter, you know, tire on there, so it looks like an ice cream cone if you look gotcha. at the cross section. Yep. And, yep. you know, it's horrible in crosswinds because now you've got you know, <laughs> this, this surface area, this lip where the air can just catch the catch the wheel, and you're not getting the airflow over the tire in the rim. So, anyway, this, this idea is like, well, hey, man, with – how, how about we make an arrow wheel for high volume tires so that we can get back that really beautiful, you know, seamless curvature from tire, from the surface of the tire to the surface of the rim. Um, and then, so anyway, then it's, things started getting wide. And so in a world of rim brakes, it just, it's not, it's not possible because you have, you're, you're limited by basically 28 millimeters is the max, maximum opening you get with like a, a Durace caliper, for example. Yeah. Um, you then can, you have to shape you pads. Yeah. Yeah. So then stuff. you're like talking about shame pads. So there's sort of this box that you're wearing. So rim widths, why have we been able to go wider? Yeah. Well, in a lot of ways, ways it's because of disc brake, the advent of disc brakes. Yeah. So the really most of the wide rim, what most of the wide rims are the result of disc brakes where we have on our rim brake product, we have basically taken it as far as we possibly can yeah and ha to let it and have it still work in um a caliper brake yeah. um because there are there are benefits a lot of the stability we're achieving out of our wheels is because of the width yeah um a lot of the aerodynamic performance we're achieving out of a shallower wheel is again because we're able to go wider and we've also adjusted the the range of wind angles that we're optimizing for as well like mm -hmm. we've we understand better now than we did at the beginning um, 
Yeah, this, sorry, maybe we'll get off the reservation here. Oh, it's fine. The, we like details the, on this podcast. But the, uh, when we're talking about yaw angle, the wind angles that people see, you'll see wheel manufacturers talking about wheel, you know, yaw angles or wind angles optimized out to like 20 degrees or 15 degrees or 12. And right. we, we kind of, we kind of go to 12 um, and beyond 12, we sort of say like, it's, it's cool. It happens, but we're really focused on zero to 12. So, gotcha. and that's, that's a, just a subtle difference between envy and some of our main competitors is mm-hmm. they may be more interested in that, you know, say seven to 15 degree. And so that's, that's why if anybody out there has shopped for arrow wheels lately, it's, you're not seeing a whole lot of arrow graphs and charts lately. Yeah. You know, because the reality is you can kind of manipulate those things to say whatever. <laughs> this is how I think it goes, right? Like you put the wheel in there and you're like, okay, is it faster than wheel X? And they say, no. All right, go to two degrees, yeah. Is it faster? Yeah. No, <laughs> go to three degrees. And they just keep going until they yeah. find it. And then like, it's faster. Yeah, it's, yeah, yeah no, yeah. totally. So, I mean, it really comes down to the, it really comes down to the philosophy that the brand has behind developing yeah. the product. So for Envy, we're all about like the real world performance. So, you know, on our last 3.4 launch, the new 3.4 is actually in the wind tunnel slower than the old 3.4 by one or two watts. Yeah. But why are we huh. willing to do that? Well, a, it's now lighter, it's wider, um, and here's why width is also valuable. So with width comes more volume, and with more volume comes more rolling efficiency. So I am going to be more than happy to give up one or two watts in, you know, arrow efficiency and rim shape for the five or six watts we're going to gain in yep. rolling resistance efficiencies. Yeah. So that's where that's where the where we're going and where yeah. we're thinking now. It's like, okay, you know, as as wheel shape or rim rim manufacturers as arrow wheel development goes, there's. There, at least as far as well, there's not a lot you can do right now in terms of, yeah. at least that we know of, that you can do to save mass. You're not going to save massive amounts of watts, yeah, out of rim shape anymore. You're, we're all fighting for one or two watts, yeah. <laughs> for, as an example, um, so and with the, just to be clear, that's just talking about aerodynamic drag. Stability is a whole other thing. You know, there's a lot of energy to be saved and a lot of efficiency to be gained by making the wheel. Um, stable and comfortable and all those things that we're also working on so yeah. we you, you just cannot nobody should be buying a wheel by simply looking at an arrow chart there's there's a lot more to this story because stability is important um the ride fill is important the rolling resistance all those things are coming together yeah so do you design your your wheels around a specific tire width i know i run 25s yeah so every ses wheel that's a rim brake wheel has been designed around a continental gp 4000 mm-hmm. 25 millimeter awesome and if you actually measure that tire when it's inflated and you know on the rim they actually measure more like around 26.8 27 millimeters awesome um and then our 4.5 all road is a tubeless wheel only so you're only supposed to use you can only use tubeless tires on that rim but it's designed around 28 millimeter tires which actually measure 30.5 to 31 millimeters gotcha depending on the brand of tire yeah um but yeah high volume rides nice it's more comfortable i like it's still really fast (laughs) yeah yeah what about tubeless? Why don't pro teams use tubeless? I guess now some of them are starting to. Um, but I mean, our team's 100% a clincher program now Interesting. for time trial. Yeah. Um, so all the time trial wheels are seven, eight clinchers and um, mm. clincher disc wheels. Do you think that's because of efficiency or do you think that's just because of... Yeah, it's, it's all about rolling resistance efficiency. Yep. So yeah. um, 
a really high-end tire with a high-performance latex tube is super fast and efficient. So yeah, yeah. And there's also aero performance gains. Um, the way a clincher tire integrates into the the sidewall of the rim is generally better than a, what a tubular does because tubular has the little gap where the yep. round tire interfaces with the rim. So so that could be an aerodynamic drag uh, contributor, yeah. possibly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, because I, I mean, you guys all run. You run cl- tubeless, right, Pete? Um, I or clincher. I run clincher. If it's if it's a real race that I care about, I definitely run latex tubes in the clincher. Yeah. Um, and I train on tubeless, but tubeless feels nice. But I, the way a latex tubed race tire feels is really nice. Yeah. And then that's the feel that I'm after for sure. Yeah. And AJ, uh, do you run that, that same setup as Pete or do you have a different preference? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I try to run tubeless where I can, um, just be, you know, depending on the tire or the, the rim. Um, but, uh, uh, I personally like the way the tubeless feels. It's, it's nice. Like, like Jake said, it's, um, it just rolls a certain way that, that feels really nice. And, um, yeah, I, that's just the setup I prefer. Yeah, I, I I I can't speak highly enough of tubeless. I'm a big tubeless proponent myself. Um, so uh, one thing that I want to cover really quick when you talked about beads and you talked about so like you guys, I hear hookless being mentioned quite a lot. Why is that better? Why is like a tire without a hook? Because in people's normal minds, they think like all of us normal folks, we think a hook it locks into a hook and it interlocks and it holds really tight. So what does hookless mean? Does it really mean it's just like a flat wall and the tire has a flat wall and it pushes against it? And if so, is that better or how is it better? Um, it, uh, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> hookless, and so there's, on a tubeless rim, all the mountain bikers out there are pretty familiar with hookless rims by this point. Um, but yeah, it's exactly as you described. There's, you know, what everybody is used to seeing is what is called a crochet style rim where you have the hook yeah. that many people perceive to be the thing that holds their tire on the rim and um it it is a emergency brake basically gotcha Um, yeah so it's uh on older wheels that had really you know less uh, uh, going back ages when tires didn't have stiff um beads you know Mm -hmm. they basically would stretch and you know basically stretch and that would contain that bead yeah Um, with tubeless it's a lot like your car tire um or a car tire and wheel system. You, you know, if you look at uh, your car's rims, you'll notice they're hookless. And what happened? What you're doing is you're actually sealing the rim. Actually, seals and locks on the tire bed on it on it on the shoulder. So yeah, be- below it, it's it's how do we just yeah the shoulder. Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So yeah. it's the tire is actually locking and 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 being secured on the the bed of the rim there on the tire bed. Gotcha. Um, the uh, and so what hookless allows us to do is allows us to mold the dimension of the rim to a much higher accuracy. Yeah. And so you get a better bead lock and the bead seat diameter is um, more dialed. Yeah, yeah. Um, because you can use a different type of tooling that is um, fixed versus slightly dynamic. <laughs> <laughs> Makes sense. Because um, <laughs> tubeless requires precision, you know, very precise right. uh, interfaces, whereas a, a Two running inner tubes doesn't require right. um, 
that that level of precision in terms of where the tire bed sits. It totally makes sense. Yeah, yeah it's something that uh, doesn't, uh, a lot of people, perhaps it seems contradictory to not have hooks there, but it works, yeah, yeah, just as fine. Yeah, and there's a bead lock there, so, I mean, in a, in a lot of ways, not in a lot, it's absolutely more secure, so the tire, when if anybody's inflated a tire, a tubeless tire, they'll hear it, like, snap onto the rim, like the loud crack pop. Yeah. Um, that's, that's, that, that's the bead of the tire, stretching and snapping up and over into place on the on the bead lock so it's it's uh it's locked on there like when you flat a tubeless tire you have to force it off the bead to yep. get to get the tube in right yep. like yeah. if it's really flattened or yeah. you sliced your sidewall or something you have to force it off of the rim to yeah. get it back in pop which it into the never center happens channel. on a tube tire yeah yeah it's a lot safer uh, we could go on for very long um, <laughs> into like hub wits, into like so many things. But I think that uh, if you all can respect the, the the fatigue that I'm sure that these guys have going on, because they've been in booths all day for two days in the sun um, at uh, Sea Otter, I feel like we covered a ton of stuff. At some point, we're going to have to talk to you guys about gravel. And then at some point, we're going to have to talk to you about mountain biking and all that stuff. Um, heck, time trialing, like what we're doing. So we'll have a lot of other stuff to discuss at some point. But uh, hopefully what this has made you all do is look at the component menu or the component choices you're going to do and then think about them a little more in detail rather than just like it's 42 centimeters wide and that's the bar that I run or it's 110 millimeters and I like carbon because carbon's cool. It's 89 grams. I want the exactly. 89 gram one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like think, <laughs> think beyond that is, is really the goal that we're going with here. So um, and at some point, I don't know how you did that magically with the crosswinds with the wheels, but bravo. Um, it'd be cool if we could all get to the bottom of that. So uh, Jake, geez, the whole crew, I guess. Pete, Jake, AJ, thanks for, for joining us on this one and this special episode. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, where can they find out more about Envy, you guys specifically? Oh, well, our website. <laughs> I mean, it's the number one source. We have, um, you know, all of our uh, journal articles, all of our support, there's videos, um, there's cool things to read. Um, yeah, that's, that's Envy 101. Um, and, you know, Bikes 101 too. We try to touch on a lot of topics on that. So Awesome. And uh, just all of our socials. So Envy Composites and any of you on Envy, post your pictures, hashtag I write Envy. And uh, we like to feature you guys on the product pages on the website, um, if you desire, and uh, also on our monthly um, Inside Envy newsletters that go out each month. So, if you want to receive those, you can sign up for those on the website as well. So, envy.com, and uh, just remember you have a lot of options, and um, you know, do your homework. Yep, I like <laughs> that. Awesome. All right, thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Thank you.